You're listening to World of Empowerment Radio. Your station for practical spirituality in a changing world. And here are your hosts, Angel Rose and Ahanu. Well, hello. It's been quite an interesting journey of late, hasn't it, Ahanu? It's been uh what what would you call it? Almost like one of those rides, you know, the roller coaster. A roller rides. coaster, and we know today the roller coasters are pretty crazy. They are. They're getting more crazy as time goes on. So seemingly are these healing journeys that many people are on, including ourselves, including ourselves. Right. So we want to talk about this for a minute in the big context of uh, what's going on on the planet, and then Ahano has his own personal story of. And a journey that he took with a deep healing uh, experience not too long ago, about a week yeah. ago, a week or two weeks ago. In fact, this, these are all connected because this is part three of a trilogy, as it were. And anybody who has been following along will know that we started with the scepter and the specter, part one. And then I went into part two. And this is going to be part two. Three, but we want to give you an outline of what's been going on in general, though, as Angel Rose says, in the bigger picture. Is this the grand finale? This is the grand finale. This is just in time for July 4th. Absolutely. Big (laughs) celebrations, actually, because the outcome is quite astonishing. All right. Well, I first want to start out with the fact that, you know, back in 2012, Ahana, when I wrote my first book, and as we know, the first book called The Time of Change was is a book about, it's transcripts of different Akashic record readings we had in a group setting mm-hmm. where people were worried about the earth and the planet and what was going to happen. And one of those uh, answers that came through the records was somebody had asked about what was going on with the world. That's right. And source had come back and said that we were moving from the solar plexus chakra to the heart chakra mm-hmm. as a planet. And... You know, basically, it explained that we first had to uh, right the wrong use of power and also reclaim our power. Do you remember? remember? Yes, indeed. Okay, reclaim it in a healthy way, reclaim it in a loving, compassionate way, not in a competitive way or not in a warlike way. And that's what we were working on now. That's what the events of the earth were about, was about power. Mm -hmm. And it said that when we were... Through that, we were to move into the heart. Okay, now as a planet, as a planet, as a humanity, in terms of evolution, the next step of evolution. And of course, you can relate that to our own chakra system. Yes. In fact, I was just going to say that, that what we're finding is that what everything that's going on in the world, as we see in the third dimension, we're seeing it being reflected in our own consciousness and that's part of what, what this whole tr- uh, trilogy has been about. But also, e- even in other ways of our own internal healing, we're seeing that the misuse of power in all kinds of different ways being reflected inward and outward. Right. And I'm, and I'm hearing it from other people too, Ahana, who come in and explain that they feel they're going through some sort of a purification. Hmm. And that purification had to do with reclaiming their inner child. Yes. And that inner child, as we know, resides in the solar plexus and it is connected to power. You know, um, 
when we quote the biblical terms, Jesus had something, said something like, you had to become like a little child to enter the kingdom of heaven. Well, that's all about innocence, isn't it? Yeah. And not naivete, but true innocence, where where you're you're pure internally. You don't have any mal intent toward anyone or anything. So, you know, what people have been talking too about lost parts of themselves mm-hmm. and that suddenly now they're looking for deep healing or yes. they're experiencing deep healing. And certainly that's been the case with us because mm-hmm. we found ourselves asking someone close to us to facilitate us on a healing journey. And You've been telling your story about it, but it really is the reclamation of your own power Mm -hmm. and your own lost child, as was mine. Very different story, very different symbolism. Same principles apply, absolutely. You can see the thread of the inner child desperately seeking reconciliation and seeking healing. And and, integration. and And integration, yes. So that's part of the big picture, though. We can see how... We have to reclaim our lost child. We have to reclaim our own power, okay, in order to be able to move into the heart chakra, in order mm-hmm. to be able to evolve up to the heart chakra, that we can't leave any piece undone or left out. Yeah. So, and as we, you're right, and as we see in the world, we're watching all sorts of abusive power, all sorts of power, what it looks like when it is not healthy when it is uh, competitive and warlike. And this is not what Source is talking about. It's mm-hmm. talking about reclaiming true power yes. in your own divinity. Yes. And indeed, this is what has to happen for the human race because it is about reclaiming your own divinity. And there's been so many uh, things that have thwarted that in us, mm-hmm. whether it's our own traumas, our own uh belief programming from when we were little or it's religions or governments there have been forces out here that have been have been trying to thwart the let's just say the uh, unfoldment of our divinity yeah and yet this is this is where we're going we are moving into our divinity and we have to claim it though mm-hmm. how it's mm-hmm. not something that'll just happen we have to claim that's right our divinity and that means you know, being responsible, using your power in a loving way, um, moving into your heart center. And what does that really mean? Because it does require self-healing first. Now, I'm glad you mentioned that, Angel Rose, because a lot of the experiences that I'm going to tell you about now and that we also went through in the three parts of the scepter and the specter are about that this is not going to happen to you or I without us consciously embracing the change. In other words, as Angel Rose just said, that it's about us recognizing that there's there's turmoil in here. There's there are issues that need to be resolved. And we can't just sit idly by and allow and think that, oh, ascension is going to happen. Or that, you know, there's going to be kind of some great absolution and everything is going to be rosy in the garden. Sure, it's nice aspiration, but there is this aspect also about us having created this reality somehow, whether you want to go there or not. But if that's the case, then we're also responsible for our own healing and our own resolution of that. 
And what we're talking about here is recognizing that there are traumas still in us, especially in the area of the inner child. And another way to liken this also is, and Gil Rose may have mentioned in the in other uh, episodes that we've done, about people who might who come to her for readings and they say, oh, I want to know, is this my last lifetime on earth? You know, I'm I'm done with this place. I'm this is my last, last lifetime. And Angel Rose has often said, if you're until asking until you learn to love it. Until you learn to master <laughs> Earth, you're coming back. Well, and mas- mastering Earth is really about moving up the chakra system. Yes, we, that's my point. We have to bring it back to our internal um, anatomy. Mm-hmm. We do have a chakra system that when it's all aligned and it's healthy and it's healed and it rises up to the pineal gland, it does cause enlightenment. Mm-hmm. And so the journey really is that it's a purification process on the way up. So you can look at this at every level. You can look at it at the level of the physical body. You can look at it at the level of consciousness. You can look at it at the level of the world stage and what's happening. And I think in order to understand the world stage, you do have to look at it symbolically. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you could really get deeply mired in the whole you could, events. Absolutely. You have to. You have to understand the symbology in order to know what you're being asked to choose. But when you do get to understand even a small amount of that, you start to move out of powerlessness. You do. Yeah. And that's a wonderful thing. So we do have to let go of our dependency on authorities, uh-huh. on governments, on people taking care of us and you know, we got to get out of the blame game where we're blaming um, things outside ourselves for the condition of things. Because as you and I just found out by doing this particular type of healing, um, by the way, it's called Rohan for anybody who's interested. Rohan, um, it's very deep. It goes to the uh, very deep into the archetypal level of the subconscious and the shadow. And I think we're always amazed at how much stuff is still in there. Mm-hmm. Yes. And and I think it makes the point that everybody has this and everybody needs purification and healing. And as a planet, we're being asked to do this. Now, we did have the symbology with these children being separated from their parents mm-hmm. where what it caused was a, a large amount of humanity standing up to reunite mothers and child, which in your story, you do mention Mary, and I won't go into that. Okay, but it is it is symbolically about yes. reclaiming the inner child, embracing it. And somebody once made the statement about this whole political thing that this is not about politics, it's about humanity. And I thought that was a wonderful thing to say, because humanity would move into the heart. And humanity seems to be making a stand for that. Yes. How you know heart over power, and that is what has to keep happening. That's why you hear people say, "Keep up the momentum, don't give up, mm-hmm. don't let this fall down." Because you know we have to we have to get the momentum to a point yeah. where it tips the scales. The other thing also to remember in all of this is that if you're going through this kind of stuff yourself, if you're feeling stirrings or changes or uncertainties even, and you're asking these questions about what's the purpose of life and who am I and where am I, where are we going and what are we doing and all that kind of thing, see that as being a very positive thing rather than a negative. Because there is a tendency to think I'm, I'm powerless 
you know, stuff's happening out there in the world to me. I'm a victim of, as you said, governments and authority figures and all this. And therefore, I there's nothing I can do. Not true. The fact is, the power is inside, is within. The power but, is within. Yeah. yeah. But we have to claim, claim, claim it. it. We have to claim our divinity. Yes. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So Ahano okay. has a wonderful story to tell about his symbolic journey of reclamation and and you'll see a lot of archetypal uh, images in here. And I'm going to let him have at it. So enjoy yourself on how to Sit tell back. your story. Sit back and relax because we're going to go deep into the world of, oh boy, adventure. <laughs> and healing, of course. Okay, we will want you to come back in a short little bit to close up. Okay, I'm not going to go back over the beginnings of this story, I will simply refer you to part one and part two of the story of the scepter and the specter. So right now, what's very important, though, is that this was the final phase of this this healing, as it were. And it's a very, very important one. I did not have any idea what was in store for me or what was coming. So I want to paint a little picture in your mind that in this healing, in this deep, deep state I was in, this deep meditation, if you want to call it that, I found myself back in a little place in Ireland, very close to where we all grew up. And it's in County Wicklow, which is known as the Garden of Ireland. And there in the Garden of Ireland is a confluence of two rivers. And it's called the meeting of the waters. Now, how unique and original is that? The meeting of the waters. What's interesting about it is that the big river is called Avonmore. And it comes from Awen, which means river. And Moor is big. So the big river and Avonburg, which is the small river. So here we have the meeting of these two waters. Now, in my meditation, I found myself looking at the small river and realizing that I was like one of these little molecules of water as I was going down the river. And then as I came to the point where the two rivers were meeting, I could see ahead of me that everything was being overwhelmed by the big river. The big river was stronger, had more water, more volume, more power. And it was overwhelming the, the small river. But nonetheless, though, the realization was that is also just water. It's molecules of water, the same as I am. So therefore, I shouldn't be afraid of this merging. So I want you to keep track also of the symbolism in all of this. As Angel Rose mentioned, huge archetypal imagery as we go along. So our waters merged and we became one. We became one river, all the same molecules, all going the same direction, all moving with tremendous power together as one. So with that, I found myself then sinking down, as it were, into a deep cave. And in that deep cave, I'm going to refer to my notes here because it's such a long story that it's very important for me to just stay on track with this. So do excuse me for just looking down from time to time. But here we go. I'm in this blue cave where there was a kind of an initiation going on and there was a baptismal font there with a purple silk cloth across the baptismal font and in the font was a baby and there was also lying alongside the baby was a sword and the sword was wrapped in a silk cloth. Now 
I did not understand what that was about when I first saw it. But then very quickly, the sword morphed into the baby. So they became one, in other words. And I recognized that what I was looking at there was, in a way, the sword represented power and the baby represented innocence. So what I was looking at was power and innocence becoming one. And that reminded me very clearly of how healing takes place, that the innocence was always there. The innocence was always there and is always there in everybody. And the power is also always there in me and in everybody. And this merging that took place was very powerful. And I believed that I had lost both innocence and power. And therein lay the healing. I believed that I had lost it. In the outer world of politics and work and business and money and all of that, I felt as if I had lost my innocence and power. So what this represented then was that there was new life, as in the baby, there was new potential, new future, new possibilities, all stemming from innocence and power. Now, then I kind of asked, well, who's looking at this? Who's, who's witnessing this? And I recognized that I was witnessing myself in the font. And then as I felt as I was a king, and in the same way as you may see in some of the movies, a, a king picked up his son, son and heir. And I picked up my son and heir, my own innocence. And I raised it up. I raised it up like in total joy that I had my, my son, my, my lineage, my progenity, my, my continuity, all of that was being symbolized in what was happening. But I raised it up out of joy, like I was raising up my newfound innocence, as it were. And then an angel appeared. And as I was holding up the baby, looking up into the heavens, even though I, I said I was in a cave, but you know how these things can happen, like in dreams. It's like the, the cave opened up to the heavens. And up there, on the ceiling of the cave, uh, in the heavens, was this angel And I recognized the angel as Angel Rose. Both of them were the same. Now, why was this important? Was because the angel became Mary, the mother of God. And the love of Angel was so total that it was like I felt the love of the mother of God for me in the same way as I felt the love for my baby and the innocence and the joy of all of that. Now, what was interesting is that there I am as the king and the angel said, my name is Mary. Now, not Mary. And I picked up on that. And I recognized the two words she was using, the two intonations, Ma-ri. And the Ma was mother. I mean, every baby at some point calls their mother Ma, or it's the first word, or first sound out of the baby's mouth, Ma, Ma, mother. And Ri is the Irish 
name for king, but it's also throughout Egyptian as in Ra. Ra is the king. So Mari was the mother of the king. And I'm looking up with this baby in my hand, my hands, raising it up as the king and the father of the baby. I'm raising the baby up to the mother of the king. Next thing, my own father, my physical father, arrived. He's dead 30 years or more now. But he arrived on the left side of me as if slightly below me. And there were other beings that came also. I didn't quite recognize them all, but there was a number of them who came to my right side and they were also lower to my right. It's very slightly behind me. And on the top left was this guy called Balthazar. And I didn't know who Balthazar was. So I had to look it up and uh, afterwards, obviously, and find out who Balthazar was. And I found that Balthazar is uh, an Akkadian ruler, which means Bel, B-E-L, or B-A-A-L, Baal protects the king. That's what the name means, Baal protects the king. And I'm going, whoa, when I read this. But it's also the name that's commonly attributed to one of the three wise men in the Bible story. Now, they say that the actual name is not mentioned, but somehow it, they managed to derive it somehow. I'm not that learned in the Bible. This is just what I read. And also I found that uh, it's an alternate name of the Babylonian king Belshazzar, who is mentioned in the book of Daniel in the Bible. But Baal is very interesting also from another perspective, and that is because Baal is worshipped in many ancient Middle Eastern communities, especially among the Canaanites. So I'm kind of getting this idea in my own head that we're going back in time, we're perhaps going back to biblical times, and there's stuff going on. Baal apparently was considered a fertility deity. So here we are talking about fertility now, and I'm raising up this child Baal was considered to be one of the most important gods in the entire pantheon. And in Hebrew, it was pronounced Baal, which also means owner or lord. Although it can be used more generally, for example, a Baal of wings, like in a winged creature. Or sometimes it's used in the plural, where a Baalim in Hebrew is, uh, indicates an archers, a, a group of archers. But it didn't prevent the name being attributed to this god who was of distinct character. And so Baal was designated the universal god of fertility. And in that capacity, his title was Prince, Lord of the Earth. Now, this, there's an important reason why I'm going into trying to understand who this character was in my vision. He was also called the Lord of Rain and dew, the two forms of moisture that were indispensable for fertile soil in Canaan. But for us, coming from the, the uh, Holy Catholic Ireland, Baal was the negative. Baal was the name where Beltane, as it's pronounced in the United States, Beltane, its Irish name is Bealtana or Baltana, which comes from the Tina, meaning fire, and Baal, the god of fire. So now I was beginning to see what was going on here in terms of the bigger picture. So why is that important? 
because Baal was not exclusively a fertility god. He was also the king of gods. And here am I as a king. And to achieve that position, he was portrayed as, as seizing the divine kingship from Yam, who was the sea god. Now, the sea god uh, was also uh, Zeus. So the worship of Baal was popular in Egypt from the New Kingdom in about 1400 before Christ to its end. And through the influence of the Aramenians who borrowed this Babylonian pronunciation, Bel, the god ultimately became known as the Greek Belos, who was identified as being the same character as Zeus. Now, so where's this going? The scepter that I spoke about in the other two sessions now appeared down my body. And I remember feeling the chakras, the scepter merging into my chakras from before. But this time the sword was embedded in my body the way it merged into the baby. It merged into me now as the king. And I could feel the sword like as if the hilt, the handle of the sword was here in my head and the, sh the uh, I don't know what you call it, but the arms of the sword as where were here in my shoulders and the rest of the sword extended down the length of my body with the tip of it at the base chakra. And I recognized that in a way this was the the... Excalibur of the Arthurian legends. And this was only me, in a way, experimenting or exploring the possibilities. But when Angel Rose mentioned earlier about looking at the archetypes, I thought it was worth exploring this. So I looked up to see what was Excalibur all about. And what I found was that Excalibur is the sword of King Arthur in uh, Sir Thomas Mallory's iconic work, La Morte d'Arthur, which was published in 1485. And the sword was originally, of course, introduced in Geoffrey the Monmouth's History of the Kings of Britain around 1136 EC. But it was known then as Caliburnus or Caliburn, and it was further developed then to become Excalibur. The sword, from its first appearance, was a powerful weapon in the hands of a skilled warrior and retains that reputation in every story which features it. And it is a story, it's a mythology, of course, but it's identified with a single hero. And, and this story of the sword uh, is about Arthur, when he's dying of his wounds, uh, following his battle with Mordred, that the sword must be returned to its source, the Lady of the Lake, rather than being entrusted to whichever knight, no matter how noble he was, that might succeed Arthur as king. But in our case, though, when where did we want to know where did Arthur get the sword from? And you remember that that sword was the sword of power, and that he removed it from a stone and the mythology of all of that is fantastic but apparently the rightful king was the only one who could remove that sword so here am i in my healing moment and i found that this sword going down through my body with its handle at the head here i found that i could remove that sword very easily so it was a sense of power about this but also a sense of being the rightful king and there is a reason for this <laughs> Stay with me. The scepter stayed inside my body, lining up the chakras, but I 
was able to remove the sword like Arthur removing the sword from the stone. For anybody else, it would be impossible. I was the only one who could do it. Like we were saying earlier, that if there are issues inside your body, in the cells of your body, in the memory of your body, in your consciousness, you're the only one who can resolve it. And here was I, knowing that I was the rightful king of my own self, that I could remove it. I felt a great sense of rejoicing because I now felt as if I was the rightful king and that this sword also was no longer piercing my crown chakra. That also had its own symbology, but its own sense of power, that there was healing taking place here. Suddenly the swaddling clothes that were wrapping the baby in the font earlier came and wrapped me. And then I felt like I was now the innocence of the baby wrapped in swaddling clothes. Mary, Marie was still there above me, looking down on me as a mother looks on their child, on their baby, with just pure love in her, in her heart. And I could feel this enormous feeling of the love of Mary, Marie, the mother of God, who was Mary, queen of the heavens. Now that I recount it in my mind, I can feel the, the enormity of this, the, the beauty, the, the, the sensation of being loved unconditionally. I looked to my left and I could see that my father, my physical father, who's long dead, was looking at me in awe. He was completely stunned at what was going on. He, he was also looking in admiration, but in complete Disbelief almost. And then I also caught sight of Balthazar. Balthazar wasn't happy at all because he was the one who knew of my weaknesses and was playing on my weaknesses. And now he could see that I was taking back my power. I was recognizing myself as the lord of myself, the king of myself, the owner of the sword of power. Suddenly, other people amongst this group on my right and my left began to merge into the bottom of the scepter that was still inside as if it were, they were coming in the base chakra. And I could see the image of the tube of light, the, uh, what did we call it before, the, the tunnel of light, sure, but the, I've forgotten what we call it, this, this, this tunnel of light that goes up the chakras and connecting all the chakras together and going out to the crown and connecting us to our divinity. But these other beings went in the base of this tunnel. And then what was really interesting was, as I was looking at it, they turned to a kind of a blue dye, D-Y-E. And I began to see the symbolism of that dye, D-I-E and D-Y-E. And here they were as a blue dye, like as if they had died to this tunnel of light. They had died to this new resurrection. And they were going up through this, this tunnel of light inside me. And I looked at my father and he didn't want to go. He did not want to go. He was adamant he was not going. Neither was Balthazar. I remained there watching this and I felt 
at one with my mother. I felt at one as the father and the king with his son. I felt the shining of the light of Mary shining on me. She, I raised the baby up to my mother, Mary. She took me as the baby, cradled me lovingly, and then handed me back, handed me back to myself. This is kind of weird. Handed me back to myself as the king. Suddenly, all the conflicts that were going on in my life, all the issues, all the uncertainties, all the aggravation, any feeling of loss of power, all dissolved. Everything just went quiet. Everything just went still. And I recognized that this was like the, the future of mankind in some way. That's what it felt like. It felt like I was looking at the future, that the future was peace. But there was still this character here to my side, my father and Balthazar. The blue dye inside the tunnel of light then changed to white. It's like the white overcame it. The white light was more and it absorbed the blue and it became just white light and ascended up to the top. The blue seemed to be entities that were swirling around out of me, coming up for purification all the way up to the top, at the top of the scepter, at the top of the crystal clear white light at the top. And I asked my father to go and then he went. He slipped in to my base chakra, into the tunnel and started going up the tunnel and I could feel him in a way saying why did I take so long why did it take so long now whether this is forgiveness of my father perhaps it is but I could feel him going into a rejoicing as he went up to the light as he went up into the purification suddenly he changed in to what seemed to be like a pyramid. So my body was forming a pyramid with my father coming out the top as a gold, as a golden statue at the top of the pyramid. Now it was spewing lava, but the lava was gold. The lava was pouring out and it was like an outpouring of, of gifts spewing out gold onto this pyramid of me, which as its own symbolism, for sure, but it was a tremendous sense of healing that this was now my father was a, a pyramid of pure gold. A beam came up out of the pyramid and it lit up the sky. And I saw then the connection between my father and father in heaven, as it were. So my father was the father in heaven, the same as everybody's father is, the fa- is our father in heaven. As fathers are fathers of their children are seen as the father in heaven the the king of all and we are all sons of ourselves in this amazing light show and in the richness of this gold now I mentioned lava and I'm going to have to sidetrack here for a second to look at something else that came up when I was exploring what lava was. First of all, we were looking at Hawaii and and how that's spewing lava now that's a that's a That's a frightening look at what lava is. I was surprised when I found an excerpt from work by Ashiana Dean, where she explains lava and she says, from the first eye of God, the eye of Aluria, 
comes spheres within spheres that transmit currents. These currents create the core matter streams that will eventually form the quarks and the sparks that form matter. These core currents are the Ka, the Ra, the Ya, the Sa, the Ta, the Ha and the La. So what we were, when we put these together, we get Karayasatahala. Now, that has its own meaning. But these currents are called the core lava currents because they are the love currents that come directly from God's source. These lava love currents open into the eyes via the pineal gland. They are supposed to actually come out of our eyes and circulate through our eyes. So when we look at somebody with love in our eyes or if they have love in their eyes, you recognize it. That's the lava we're talking about, the love. And perhaps that's where the word love came from or where lava came out of love. I'm not sure. So here's my father, the golden father. Atop a mountain, a golden pyramid as a mountain. And I recognized that this was like a golden age. This was the age of wonder, the, the age of love. Now, remember Balthazar? He was the last guy still standing around me here. And he was very angry. He was just very, very angry. And he said to me, I got you at seven and I've got you for 77 incarnations and I will always get you at seven. Now at that point I recognized that my name then as an innocent child was Kira. Ra meaning the son of the king. And that I was here to break the mold. Now if anyone you knows the, my story about when my first baby died while he was alive and I was wheeling him around uh, in his uh, buggy, I remember saying clearly that I'm going to break the mold because there was a lot of stigma attached to uh, fathers wheeling their babies around and all this kind of stuff. Anyway, a lot more to that story. But I remember saying that I was going to break the mold of stigmas in our family, in our ancestral line. So here's this Balthazar saying, I've got you at age seven for 77 incarnations and I will always get you and you're not going to break the mold. You, you are my link to life. You're not going to get away with this, he said. You always carried out my orders to spill blood. I am the God of darkness. You are mine. I am the red and the black lava of destruction. No disobedience from anyone in my chain of command, he said, emphasizing chain. You are my weakest link, he said. You can't wear the crown. I have a loss of expectation in you now. And I began to feel the whole Fears coming back, the whole gamut of insecurities coming back, realizing that that is what has kept me and perhaps you and countless others enslaved, not recognizing our divinity, not recognizing our kingship, not recognizing our power. And I didn't know what to do. 
But at that moment, I remembered something about the sevens because when Angel Rose and I first met and it was in Chicago and there was a friend of ours who was a numerologist and we actually interviewed him in one of the very early episodes of our Honest to God series podcast. So if you were to go to honesttogodseries.com and go way back to the beginning or even search for numerology on there, you'll find that episode because in that he found that my birth number or my number was seven. And this came back to me in this healing. And what he said about the seven was, if you look at the seven, the seven is facing, in its shape, the seven is facing backwards to the past. It's facing backwards to the small numbers. And I'm going, oh my God. How are you going to resolve that? He said. And I recognized in that moment that the resolution of this was that the seven was also like the bow of a ship going forward, cutting its way through deep oceans on adventures and explorations and carrying goods and services and all sorts, that it was going forward into the bigger numbers. That was how I grasped onto the healing of this seven issue with me. Then something very interesting happened because the seven then recognized that in going forward, it had to become an eight, a number eight. And the eight for me is about infinity. And so I felt that this is a very powerful moment. This is something that is going forward now into infinity. But what I also found something very interesting about the eight. Let me see if I got this correct now. Yeah. So the number eight. As you know, the symbol of infinity goes round like this. It's like the link of a chain. And I found that in infinity, the weakest link is when they come together like this. When the eight or the, 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 the unit of one circle like this meets the other to form the infinity. And this, in a way, is like the loop of reincarnation. This is like going round and round in circles. We think of it in some ways as infinite, but it, in fact, it is finite because it's contained. It goes and wraps over along on itself. That was a huge recognition for me about what was really going on in my understanding of infinity. There was something else about it, and that was that here we had two balls like this. And in the next moment, I saw these two balls as in a lava lamp. Now, everybody will know what a lava lamp is, I'm sure, at this point. Very popular in the 70s, 80s, maybe into the 90s. Still popular, too, in some places. And what happens is these, these balls of some kind of liquid come up uh, in the lava and they, they're separate but then they can go pop and they merge together as they come up to the top they pop as one they become one I saw Angeros and I but also I saw humanity as separated and, and we have politics now that's all about separation and individua individuation but going up the lava which I'm now seeing as love rising in the lava lamp 
these two separate identities in the infinity of things pop together as one. Boom. Like that. Now we're a unity. Now we're one. That was a fantastic realization and recognition of what was really going on here and the extent of the feeling that was, that was, ha- that was happening, the extent of the healing that was happening. Next thing, I saw a twinkle of light from, remember we were in this cave and the heavens were above and I saw a twinkle of light and to me, it, it, I recognized it as the star of Bethlehem. Now, I, I, this is not going biblical, this is not going religious. It, it, the, symbol, the symbolism of that like a guiding light. And it reached out for me. It's like as if, you know the way this, this spike of a star can kind of reach down. Um, we see it in lots of graphic, graphic art. And in, in a sense, the spike, or maybe one of the six pointed points of the star came down, reached down to me. And it's like I was on the battlefield of life and it picked me up from the gore and the destruction. It picked me up from that confusion of human life. And next thing, Mary, Marie said to me, my name is Marie, mother of the king. A shaft of light came out of that star, pointed to the east. And she said, the sun rises in the east. S-U-N-S-O-N, the son of God, the son of man, my son recognizes, recognizing me as son of Marie, as a son of God, rises in the east. And it was twinkling as if it was like daylight, just before daylight. And then you will remember from the previous two episodes where I talked about my own sun disk. I saw the sun starting to rise and I recognized that that was my sun disk. I am that sun disk. I am that sun rising. I am that light giving light to the world. And it was burnished. My shield was shining. It was a shining shield of a warrior, not in an aggravated um, sense, but as a, as a sense of power. And also I recognized that the rising sun, and take that as S-O-N-S-U-N, the rising sun is unstoppable. The rising sun is unstoppable. And this is the case with every single person. In your rising is a rising sun that is unstoppable. And Mary, the mother of the king, is that mother of you and me, that origin, the power behind the sun, the one who gives birth to the sun. Now, I found another very, very interesting correlation that happened real quick. This was like a flash. In the chakra system, uh, as you know, we have a third eye here. And they say that in the third eye is where all our judgments take place. And it's our perceptions. We, we think we see things or we see things or we make judgments about them. So our judge sits in there. And that's where the ego makes its judgments from. So... In that recognition of that, I'm seeing that my, my enemy, my worst enemy, is the Balthazar of this world, is my own judge, myself judging me, or yourself judging you. They say that's the, the worst of all. 
And there I recognized my judge was judging me. But in that same instant, I recognized that, hey, in taking out this sword and in this tube where my father had gone and all the other beings had gone and Balthazar was still to go. But I recognized that at the top of that was my crown. That was where the power lay. That was where the crystal light lay. That was where the purity was. That's where the perfection was. On the crown of my head, the crown of my head. And the crown is over the judge. The crown is over the judge. Immediately I had a flash of the politics that's going on in the United States where we had the sitting, current sitting president saying, I have the power to pardon myself. Now, at the point where I first heard that in the 3D world, many people did not agree with that, saying, you can't do that. You cannot do that. That's not the way it works, Mr. President. But it does work for humans. It works for divine beings. Because in purity, in divinity, you have the power to forgive yourself. I had the power to forgive myself from all the judgments I was making. This was a powerful thing. This was like a transformation. When I realized that I had the power to absolve all my insecurities, all my misgivings, all my trespassing, as I had perceived them, I recognized that I have the power to pardon myself. Then everything changed. I used the words earlier on about chain, the chain, and the infinity, as it were, as a chain link. And I mentioned also about Balthazar seeing me at that point in time as the weakest link. They say the darkest hour is before the dawn and it seemed like the weakest link was before the dawn when there was uncertainty and this was the case also in Celtic times and pre-Christian times when people would see this was, the, this was the time of uncertainty or even into the depths of winter there was uncertainty uh, but then when it came the first of spring there was rejoicing so when the sun comes up when the sun came up I could feel that that link grew strong, that it was no longer the weakest link. As soon as I recognized that, I remember that Balthazar had said to me, you are my weakest link. But that's before the sun could rise. That was the moment of the darkness, the darkest hour. But now the sun was rising. I could feel the risen sun. I could feel the risen Sun. And immediately I felt that power of the risen sun. Balthazar lost his power over me. He lost the power as being the judge of me. And suddenly he jumped in to the tube. He went into the tube first as that blue dye. He was dying to that old self. He changed into the, the white light as he was going up and then I saw him as the lava in the lava lamp merging and becoming whole and becoming as one.
Now, it was the fire of the sun that welded the weak link. All of those guys that were around me were like some part of me, a negative part of me or other power, whatever it was, having power over me and control over me. In going up the light, in offering them up, as it were, it's like as if this huge forgiveness came place, they took place. They all went up to the light. And the light at the top here, at this part of my head, as it was going up, was almost like, as I was looking up, I could see it as if I was under a rocket at Cape Canaveral. And I'm, I know that's impossible because I'd be burnt to a crisp, but it, it's like as if I'm looking up at this engine, this enormously powerful engine of white fire. And all these guys' negative parts are all going up into this white fire. But you can imagine the thrust. Now, in the last episode, I talked about trust, as in trusting someone or trusting yourself, and thrust. I could feel this thrust blowing up into the heavens, just rising up, taking all this negativity in enormous energetic spiritual thrust up into the whiteness of the purity and the glory and the forgiveness and the happiness of all of that. As soon as that happened, my shield came back down like the sun had risen, as it were, and my shield came back down to me and I put it into my solar plexus. And at this stage, it was a beautiful sensation, a beautiful feeling. I looked at my father then, having gone into the light, I could see him. But this time he took the form of almost like the Statue of Liberty. And I know everybody's familiar with the Statue of Liberty. But on his head was a crystal light on his head. And instead of uh, holding the, the torch, like the statue is, he was holding my scepter, my scepter. And he was crowned with a crown of light. And what I got from that was that he now was crowned just like I was crowned. Balthazar was crowned. All the negativity was all gone to the light with the thrust of the, the rocket engine of firepower that brought it all up and that there was nothing now but light and peace and lava love. And that brings me to the end of the third part of the story of healing that I have called the scepter and the spectre because I realized that the specter was all the illusions that I was carrying with me, all that I believed, all the nonsense, the lies, the mistruths, the coercion, all just nonsense that all went up and disappeared, leaving only the purity of the perfection of the feeling of being the son of God, being the loved one of the mother, being at one with life and with creation and with all life everywhere and feeling the expectation of the sun as it rises and gives life to everything. 
Thank you for listening. Well, I hope you enjoyed that journey with the Hanu and you understood the symbology in relation to what we're talking about. And we will go further with this in in future weeks, Sahano, because this mm-hmm. is a big topic. It's an important topic. And stay tuned. Stay tuned. Thank you. And until next time, from myself, Ahanu, and from Enge Rose, bye-bye. Bye. You have been listening to Angel Rose and Ahanu on World of Empowerment Radio, your station for practical spirituality in a changing world.